Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. My job is driving me crazy. Ah, sorry. Do you hate your job or does your job hate you? Sorry. Ah, sorry. I can't find the answer to the question I heard. My career crisis. You're either listening to this because you're in the middle of a major career crisis or you're just a filthy voyeur who gets off on hearing about other people's traumas. Well, whatever your reason, welcome to a brand new show, My Career Crisis. I'm Ruth Barnes, and I had a career crisis after having a baby. Not an unusual story. There's something about having a child that makes you blow all the shit in your life out of the water and refocus. I'm here to listen, commiserate, and maybe even encourage you to take a leap. And I'm joined by career guidance expert Sue Ahern, who will give you excellent practical suggestions and advice on how to ride out your crisis. Welcome, Sue. I'm very pleased to be here. Each week, we welcome a person in crisis from a whole range of professions to share their own story of workplace drama. Indeed. Expect swearing and tears, life lessons and productivity hacks, but all in all, great stories around the everyday drama of our working life. Sue. Today's theme is quite a good one. I think it's something that a lot of people are going to connect with, which is this great trade-off between creative fulfilment and commercial success. Hmm. Really only a problem of the last 25 years, because I think before that we were trying to find a job. You know, if you're as old as me, you can remember when it was really nice to just get a job and get on. And now we've got another layer, which is we've also got to be completely fulfilled Nice trick if you can do it. So it's going to be interesting um, trying to sort the wheat from the chaff around this subject. Our guest today says photography as an industry is disappearing by the day due to thievery, copyright erosion. It's so easy for people to steal from the internet and they don't even believe they are stealing. No one gives a shit about photographers. Just some of what is fueling photographer Lottie Davies and her career crisis. Lottie has been an independent photographer for 20 years. She won the prestigious Taylor Wessing Portrait Prize at the National Portrait Gallery in 2008. Currently makes fine artwork, commissioned travel editorial, and she's also a commercial photographer. Lottie, welcome to My Career Crisis. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Well, photography as an industry has obviously changed. You're somebody who's been in it for 20 years. Obviously, you've ridden those changes. You're still here. How has it evolved? Oh, it's just changed beyond recognition, I swear. Since I started, I started assisting in the mid-1990s when everything was shot on film. It was very, very technical. 
um, the money was that much bigger than it is now. And the main changes have been digital technology and the internet. I was very resistant to digital to start with because I didn't believe that it was as good as film. And, you know, on a personal level, I resented the fact that all of my technical knowledge was somehow being chucked out of the window. So I still shoot film, but I obviously shoot digital. Is that, well. Sue, is that something that you come across every now, every now and again where sort of resistance to a changing industry can actually hinder somebody's progress in that industry, which, which comes really it's from pride in your, in your art? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's trying to retain what you love about what you do, but trying to move with the times. I mean, my, I started off as, as a journalist and I worked in news. And I remember the disdain that there was on amateur footage. You know, well, we can't put that on. It's just not good enough. Well, most news operations would die a death if they didn't use that now. So what happens is that the public get used to seeing things that quite differently. Music is exactly the same. So they, they get used to consuming things in different ways. And if we don't ride that wave, if we don't stay relevant and current, then we're in danger of losing what we want in a job, you know. So I, I do think it's a perennial problem, not just for photography, but lots and lots of different areas. Lottie, I think it's time to hear in full, what is your career crisis? I need to work out how I can make the work that I love and continue to, to do that with integrity but also enjoy a bit more stability. I don't imagine it's a solvable issue, but that is the problem, I think. I've looked at your website, which is beautiful, and I think you should tell people Thanks. what your website is so they can see it. LottieDavis.com. Do go and have a look at them, because yeah. if we can flog a couple of prints off the back of this, that'd <laughs> yeah, be yeah, nice, definitely. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But what strikes me is, first of all, how beautiful your, your work is. Thank you. I think you have such an eye. It's they're just a composition. It's really beautiful. Um, and even in the commercial work that I looked at, you bring that same eye to it. But often people who who have that eye, there are they, there's a very high streak of perfectionism in it. And when you have that high streak of perfectionism, perfectionism, can't even say the word, what that says to me is that you want to have a lot of control. And I think sometimes it's good not to be so tightly controlled, to say, OK, if I can't be 100% fulfilled and earn money, something's got to give you know, and obviously you, you, what you've said is perfectly reasonable. You want to have integrity and do good work. You also want to earn money. So there's got to be a way we can bring those two things together. The tendency, I suppose, is to think, well, I should, um, I should stop making personal work. It's very, very expensive to make. It doesn't... How know. expensive? Uh, one of the pictures in Memories and Nightmares, on average, 5,000 to make. Wow. And, and there then another 1,000 to print it and frame it. Okay. And that was all just your, that was your personal project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's my money. Wow. And do, you, do you sell them? Yes, not enough. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do. And when they sell, it, it, you know, they, they start at three and a half. Um, they're in, in editions. And so. these are the beautiful pictures you're referring to that are on your website. Memories and Nightmares right, was the, the, the series. And this is LottieDavis.com, is it? Com. Yes, <laughs> but we do need to talk about that because I hear what Sue is saying and I can really I can really relate to that. Sometimes you just kind of have to take your foot off the gas in terms of your pride and your kind of creative pride and just kind of yeah. do some work, just kind of knock some work out that's fine and the money comes in yeah. and that's okay. That is so hard though because I, I am a total control freak, mm. absolute perfectionist, always have been and I know it's an issue that insistence that everything has to be absolutely fucking perfect is what sells my work so when I sell a print for 10,000 pounds 
you want something good for 10 grand, right? It had better be good. So I make it as perfect as I can make it. There will be no flaws in that work. That's why that kind of attitude is kind of necessary in my industry. But I also totally take your point that if the art world where I make my personal work is different Mm. to the commissioned world. But I also feel that it's my responsibility to my clients to give them the best I can make. So it tends to become a bit all-consuming. And It's interesting what you say about the clients. Um, in fact, I was just um, doing some coaching work with somebody this week and we were talking about the concept of what is good enough. And, um, I mean, we were talking about it in context of a job that she was doing and um, she is like you, somebody who you give her money for a, a mini and she'll try and make a Rolls Royce every single time. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's to be admired. But... It, but actually, it, it's not helpful to her because what her I am pretty sure that your standards are going to be so much higher than anybody else's. No, for people buying your work, you um, might notice that tiny little thing. Yeah, they it kind of depends on who because, of course, I have clients in lots of different areas. So some clients are considerably more demanding than others. Mm. And I think that my perfectionism is appropriate in the art world because it's very personal and it's, you know, when you make a piece of art and you're asking people to buy it, you're asking them to sort of buy you in mm, a way. Mm. When it's commission stuff, you, I think you have to listen to what the client wants, give them what they need and something better, hopefully, than they expected. Is there a certain amount of snobbery as well in the photography world that stops you from doing jobs that might be lucrative, but I look down on. Like no. a dear friend of mine is a photographer and we, we just have this running joke about how he's going to, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm shooting a wedding. Ha, 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 never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever. I have to literally be in the gutter before I will go and shoot a wedding. There is, so there that's is. what I'm talking about because I believe wedding photography is pretty, you know, people wedding pay. Wedding photography is pretty lucrative. Uh, and yes, funny enough, you, that's the one thing. That's the one thing. <laughs> Everybody's like, no, don't do weddings. Most people do weddings. Most people do weddings, but they won't necessarily say that they do or they won't advertise that they do. Right. But I think that's a really interesting point that you've mentioned. I think it's, okay. so we've got the status quo of where we are now, but it's trying to think the skills that you have and the talent that you have, what's a new venue for it? You know, I've Mm. I've, was working with a television producer recently who didn't know anything about digital, but she's now embracing digital because she's seeing it as a natural extension of what she does. And it's trying to think two, three steps ahead to find out what other things can I add to my portfolio? Have Mm. you had any thoughts about that? Well, the main thing is moving image that a lot of photographers have taken on. And it's kind of a lot of the time you'll be asked, can you can you just do a video at the same time? Which, of course, is kind of a ludicrous request because you only have two eyes. (laughs) I did a really great course editing Final Cut, which I love. And as a result, my the project I've been working on for the last two and a half years involves sections of moving image. But I wouldn't call myself a videographer because I don't have those kind of skills. But it's it's something that I can offer in addition. It's just more in more kind of specialised circumstances, I think. My career crisis. Lottie, we're going to hear from you after we've uh, solved someone else's career crisis. And we want to hear from you on this as well, because I think you'll, you'll definitely connect with what Martha, who's got in touch uh, with us, Sue. She works in digital media and she writes, I work on projects which are entirely about the results. So it's the app, the game, the website. 
Sometimes this result has been unsatisfactory for reasons that are often, not always, but often, at least partially, there's <laughs> lots of caveats here, out of my control. For example, if people fail to market the thing and it fails, and I've experienced that, and it's so frustrating. This wouldn't matter if I just loved the process, she says, of producing these things, but do I really? No. I tolerate it because when it is successful, I feel warm and fuzzy and people give me more work. Should everything I do at work be defined by the outcomes and what happens when these outcomes are not successful? So I wonder, Sue, I think, and I can relate to this, what happens when you're working really hard on a project, what you're doing is really good, but the project fails and you don't fundamentally enjoy the work. So she's kind of being pulled in two different directions, I think. I think the fundamentally not enjoying the work is the important yeah. thing. What are you doing it for then? Yeah. I know that sounds so glib and I don't mean it to be, but... You're going to spend so much time at work, and God help us, we're going to be working till we're 70, gone. So you have to find something that you can at least tolerate, you know, because not being happy in your work. The thing about something being out of your control, a real big life lesson for me was learning to not worry about things I can't control. You know, so if I'd done X, Y, and Z, it could be better. That I need to worry about because that's my bad. But actually, if you're working with Egypts that don't market something... As long as they can see that you've, you know, as long as it doesn't affect your progress in the company or whatever because your input was good, then I think we've just got to relinquish this control thing. You know, I, I was someone who always had to have the last word, always had to prove I was right. And since I've learnt not to worry about those things, my life is so much better. And it's thinking that we're in control is sort of um, a myth anyway you know that we can control everything no you can't you're part of an organism in a company that's making something you can only control what you control that's all you can control so it's about I think there are fundamental questions there about are you in the right job in the first place because if you're not actually enjoying the process what's the point but if you're doing your what the best you can do and it is frustrating nobody's saying it isn't but there's nothing you can do about it you know um I'm I'm fortunate because, you know, we talked about personality before that I've never, maybe it's being the oldest of five children, I don't know, but I've never worried about fairness. I mean, I like things to be fair, but if they're not, I sort of half expect it. You know, my life maxim is um, life shit by a shovel, really. <laughs> In my heart, I don't want life to be shit, but it is. So it's how do you navigate that um, and make the best thing that you can for yourself? Not to the exclusion of anybody else. I don't mean by being totally selfish, but you have to stop worrying about things that you have no control over. I think the reason that I'm freelance is that I don't react terribly well to other people telling me what to do, <laughs> as you've probably all worked out very early on. Um, but for me, the reason I do what I do is that mostly it's fun. And there's loads of crap in between, but the fun bit is really fun. And half the time, if the shoot's good, I have in front. If the end of it, it's not very good. I just, I just like, all right, never mind. But I had a good time doing it. And that's kind of how I approach my shoots is that, yes, we work hard, but we have a good time when we're doing it. And at the end of it, yeah, if it's, if it's successful, then great. But if not, you know what? You still had a good time. You still made a good thing. If you made the thing and it was good, if Martha makes a good thing and, it, you know, and it's not successful because somebody else kind of fucks up, 
then it's not her fault and she should congratulate herself mm. on, on having done the good thing. And just put it in her portfolio and take it to the job interview and, yes. and get a new job. Um, Lottie, I do know that you're very ethical in terms of how you run your team. You like to you like to pay your assistants properly and your interns, which, you know, other people would be like, you idiot, they'll work for free. What are you doing? Um, but you don't like to, people, to pay people below minimum wage to come and work for you. What's wrong with you? Um, now, that, that, that's obviously as a business plan um, mm-hmm. is something that's that's very noble. But, you know, why why do it? Why not just yeah, yeah start paying people crap money and take more for yourself? Because that will make me an asshole. Right. And now, Sue, do you have to be an asshole to run a successful no, business? No. And Lottie wants to sleep at night. <laughs> I agree with her. Yeah. You know, how much money can you spend? You know, you, you earn enough and you make sure you pay people around you. That means they're loyal. They do their best work because, you know, I think goodwill is in, is very, very important in business. And what I'd say after a long career is that I think that arseholes always, they always get their comeuppance. I think Lottie's business model is perfectly sound. OK, she might not be able to buy the villa in France, but I, I, I still think she sleeps at night. No, you don't have to be an arsehole. Um, there was some really interesting work done about um, emotional intelligence and they did a, a survey of... Um, uh, captains of industry, male and female, and ones who were very successful financially, but also had huge loyalty from their workplace. And it was that they were basically emotionally intelligent. Now, what that means is that you're aware of your flaws, you do something about it, and you basically believe that nobody is more important than you. Um, they're not less important either. And usually those companies are successful financially. They don't have huge turnover of staff because people want to work for these people. And uh, they sleep at night. You know, I think that's a perfectly good model, and I think Lottie's spot on. Obviously, perception <laughs> is is big in, in, in when you're a photographer because you, you know essentially you have a shop window, which is your which is your website, which people are are, are looking at in order to hire you and and to give mm. you jobs. Are you any good at selling yourself? How good are you at PRing Lottie Davies? Are are you good at sort of getting yourself out there? Because that's a huge part I've of got not no just idea. for you as a photographer, but for for anybody, I suppose. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to work out how you are perceived, to be honest. And because we all, all photographers work independently. Uh, so we, it's not like we kind of get together and kind of have a discuss about how things are going. You know, we'll meet up in a pub and have a drink. And go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This thing happened today. This god awful client. Oh, my. you know, you'll have those kind of discussions. But and we all have similar stories. But it's very hard in this country to get a straight answer from somebody when you say, how am I perceived or why did you give me the job? Why did you not give me the job? Because people are terribly polite. We're terribly polite. And people won't say, yeah, your job was shit. Your job was shit. You cost too much. Uh, and we didn't like your blue hair. Have you tried asking yep. a question? Mm-hmm. And do you get evasion? Yeah. Well, I get, I get, oh, we love your work. But there's just, you know, there's that. Normally I get, we love your work, but there just isn't a, a job that's appropriate to it. It's, you know, it's too, it looks too expensive for a start, which is part of the reason why I think that, my work, the way that it is, the the, the high production stuff, um, coinciding with an enormous recession. Not brilliant timing on my part. But yet people just say, we love your work, but there isn't anything, you know, we, we know where you are. If a shoot doesn't go well, it is always the photographer's fault, yeah. regardless of whether it's down to the weather, whether it's down to the fact that somebody turns up when they're 20 years older than they said they were. It was. It is always your responsibility. And because it's your responsibility... It's sometimes your fault, and I know this is this is difficult. But I mean, I've 
face this myself because I'm constantly, you know, being asked by clients to do work for them. And um, I'm really measured by results because I do coaching. And if people aren't better at their job afterwards, are they going to employ me? And the way that I look at it is that I look at my own effort. I mean, hopefully, usually I can make a difference. But I I do, I make sure what, what the brief is. I deliver the brief. I'm happy with it. If, um, if they're not happy with it, they tell me. That's my responsibility. That's all I can do. Mm. Now, there are people, for example, that I've worked for that I probably won't work for again. But that's also my choice. Do, do, do you know what I mean? You, oh, yeah. you have to say, right, okay, they won't use me. But because you have to have oh, yeah. enough... Firing a client is a is a really sensible thing to do. Every yeah. Yeah. It is, it is. And yeah. in fact, in my business, I, I am planning to sit down with my business partner in the new year and have a little look at our client roster and there is one. There's one who's going. Huh? She is gone. <laughs> I can't. I can't take yeah. any more of the kind of passive aggressive vibe. Anyway, let's not get into that. Um, but you know that that is something. And I and something else that's resonated with me, Lottie, is this kind of idea of setting parameters with somebody when they commission you. So when you work in an industry like I'm, I'm sort of making podcasts for people, and your people are being very creative and throwing these big ideas around, and it's this kind of wonderful moment when you have the meeting and they set out what you want, and then you go away and you make something, and they literally are like, "What have you? What is this? This is something." that I experienced a while back um, and I think it was because I wasn't I, I hadn't set the parameters of what I was going mm. to deliver after that initial kind of wonderful meeting of minds that we'd had that obviously just we both walked away with completely different ideas of what was going on we didn't set out a you know a list of things that mm. I was going to deliver and literally do the most uncreative thing which was kind of spell out how this thing was going to roll and what I was going to force my subject to kind of say so we could get this story mm. out of them um, and I have now decided that I'm going to work that into all of my projects going forward because there is no way I'm working like that again you know you deliver something like ta-da and they go what the hell is yeah. this you know um yeah. we we do need to talk about your two websites as well oh, yeah. um so d why why have two websites why why keep them separate and this makes me wonder about again about that slight snobbery in the photography world that you can't be a creative photographer and be a commercial photographer or something like that or am I mm. reading it wrong no 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 that used to be the case interestingly until about say 15 years ago maybe 10 years ago it's the same thing you were talking about Sue that how the landscape has changed that I think yet yeah, certainly then if you were an artist you couldn't be a photographer working photographer what is that yeah where and if you're a working photographer uh the art world would say I'm sorry could you use the tradesman's entrance yeah. um whereas now everybody knows everybody does lots of different things you know you need to have a portfolio career within photography in order to survive and it's only the very very lucky you only get to do one and even the big guys they do commercial stuff because it pays more money what I realized was that I needed to, to produce different portfolios for different clients so I have a, a separate travel website which is .co.uk uh, and it looks pretty much identical to my other website uh, and I don't separate it for any kind of snobbery reasons but actually for more for expediency I can send those clients who are quite specific to that one website and they'll probably know I do the other stuff uh, and the stuff which kind of goes on with the art stuff and the commercial stuff has some of the travel work on it so it's really trying to market myself more uh, specifically to people who want to see one thing I think that's really sensible um, solution because I think people are basically they don't want the hassle of having to sort stuff. So you just give them what they need to make an, a, an assessment or should I use you or not? I think that's a really sensible approach. Yeah. Are you good at negotiating your fees? 
uh, better than I used to be. Mm, I think we can all say that. Yep. How, How long did it take be? you to get better oh, than man. you used to be? <laughs> a oh, long time. I'm yeah. still not that good. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of it, negotiating fees comes down to whether or not you can say no. Mm. And if you can say no, then you're all right. Because in, in your heart, you're like, well, it doesn't matter if I don't get it then. It's the jobs that, that are really, really exciting or incredibly lucrative. They're the ones that are the hardest to negotiate for. So I just think, how much do I want it? You know, and then I'll kind of go from there, really. I think there's really different stages, isn't there? When you're young or new to whatever it is you're doing, and for example, in Lottie's case, doesn't have much of a portfolio, I think what you're doing is trying to do as many jobs as you can to illustrate to have your shop window. And I think then you try and get as much money as you can, but you're prepared to do anything because you're trying to build that up. But you you reach a certain level, I think, when you have to understand is what is my bottom line? You know, because I've got X amount of experience and talent and that's my bottom line. That's I'm not going below that. Now, you might start higher, but that phrase you used, willing to walk away, I think is really important. Mm. I mean, I think what has been incredibly problematic over the last few years in photography specifically is that everybody expects it for nothing. Mm. People expect it for exposure. When I can go to Sainsbury's and buy my fucking cereal for exposure, then you can have my pictures <laughs> for free. I am absolutely sick to the back teeth of this kind of fiction that somehow if you're going to use my pictures that, by the way, cost me a lot of money to make on your website or your whatever the fuck it is, that's somehow a privilege for me. You can bloody well pay for it. And if it's not worth anything, then why on earth do you want it? Mm. I'm absolutely sick of it. And students get it all the time. It's like, oh, well, you need it. Do you need it for your portfolio? You need it for this, that and the other. No, you don't. You absolutely do not. And it, the kind of attitude that companies have, that, that's all over the place, that companies have that, you know, you're expected to do something for free until you are good enough to pay. If you do it for free, that company is never going to come back and pay you because you're the one who does it for free, mm. you idiot. Mm. If you're good enough... They can pay you. And if they can't pay you, then you're obviously too good for them. Drives me potty. My career crisis. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My career crisis. We have another crisis that's been sent in to us. Uh, this is from Rebecca, who's a digital artist, and I really like this one because it's quite it's quite personal. We're getting into Rebecca's life here. <laughs> um, how would you respond if one of your parents asked you if you had thought about retraining in something so that you could support yourself as you're not going to be able to live as an artist? Lottie is nodding here, especially as my dad's an artist, my mum's an art historian and an artist but mostly because I don't think my mum's understood or paid attention to anything I've told her about my work over the past 10 years. I think a lot of people can relate to that as well. I'm already uh, crippled by self-doubt, so I didn't need this coming from my parents. I think she thinks I'm going to be tinkering about making watercolours and hoping someone will buy them at a craft fair, living in squalor in my old age. I'm not sure if I'm upset in the lack of faith in me or dealing with the burden of someone else's worry. Why am I upset by this at the age of 48? Sue. Rebecca, you're 48. Get a grip, is what I'd say. Um, right, now I'm speaking here as a mother of grown-up children and someone who's probably heard similar things from my parents as well. When you're a parent, you only ever want the best for your children. And I know when Rebecca hears that, what, what she's hearing, what, what somebody says and what somebody hears is, is often different. What she's hearing is disappointment, and the disappointment is not because, you know, she's she's gone down this creative route, but it's this worry that your kids will be self-sufficient and that they will be happy and that you will they will be able to look after themselves. And so I stop myself saying things like this. <laughs> My kids are actually, you know, pretty self-sufficient, so it's OK. There's a fantastic book by a woman called Deborah Tannen, who is... Um, a psycholinguistic professor, what a title for a job. And basically what she looks at is the way people talk to each other and she sort of analyses it. She's written this brilliant book called You're Not Wearing That, Are You? And it's about mothers and daughters. Rebecca, you must buy this book and you must read it. What it's about is that moment, and I've, I've bitten my tongue, when your daughter comes down the stairs and you think, my God, she's going out looking like that. And you have to stop yourself saying you're not going out in that, are you? What I did say was... Tits or legs, love, not both, is <laughs> what I said. And, and what she says is, it, when you read it, you, you understand that your parent is only motivated by love and wanting you to be OK, but you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. More tellingly, what Rebecca says is that she has problems with um, self-doubt. Yeah. And I think, forget the mum, it's the self-doubt you have to work on. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. What about you, Lottie? You were nodding throughout Oh, that. God. Both what, my what parents. Do, yeah, my parents say. are totally lovely, but my father would have been an opera singer, but he decided to take the safe option and had a wonderful career as a lawyer because okay. he didn't want to take the risk of being creative. My mother writes novels. She said to me that I should just, just learn to type and join the typing pool. You'll make a, meet a nice man you can get married to. 
And I went, oh, my God. That was in, like, 2000 or something. Wow. Um, and my father said, bless him, he said, well, couldn't you just do photography as a hobby and get a normal job? And mm. what I had to explain to him was that, actually, I'm not interested in doing it as a hobby. I'm not interested in it as a hobby. It's what I do. I can't, can't but make, that's what I do. I make things. You know, I've been making things since I was a kid. And the idea of getting a job that... It just, just I don't, I can't imagine it to be honest. I can't imagine it, but I totally understand that for parents, it's really scary watching mm. your kids pick something that is so potentially unstable. And yeah, it's not always great. You know, I've had some brilliant adventures, but there's been a fair amount of shit too. You know, this is not a stable way to make a living. Um, and you give up a lot. You give up a lot to have a creative career. I'm not holidaying. Christ knows how long. I mean, seriously. But then. I'm going on a shoot next week and I'm taking an actor and I'm going to go, you know, uh, literally walking three hours into the middle of nowhere to take a picture. That's kind of my holiday. And I think maybe that Rebecca needs to explain that somehow to her parents, have a chat with them and go, you know what, this isn't just a job. This is my life. This is what I love to do. So it's not about a job and stability. It's like, this is the person I am. Mm. And you know the the compromises come come with that you know and also maybe kind of reassure them and say you know what it's okay I'm a grown-up but also I think you can say to, to your parents I really understand that you're worried about me you know a bit of empathy always yeah. helps I really understand that you're concerned but I'm not and I'm really happy doing what I'm doing and you know they love you that, that it'll be fine they won't stop them worrying it doesn't stop you you know when your 16 year old is out staying awake until they come in it's what happens um but I think and, and it's only motivated by love I'm sure and also so when you said about your dad, you know, mm. he wanted to be an opera singer, but he didn't want it enough because he yeah. took a well, normal he, job. In some ways, I suspect he regrets that. But in other ways, you know, he's he had he has he's had the life that he kind of he crafted, you know, and he had enormous job satisfaction from the job that he did do. And he still sings all the time. So he didn't have to mm. give it up. He sings constantly and music is, has been his life as well as his job. Um, but what he didn't quite understand is I can't do photography Zelby. I don't, I'm not quite sure why, but it doesn't interest me. I want to do it at the highest level. Therefore, I have to do it professionally. And and the other thing is he's brought up this daughter who is very creative, has got lots of chutzpah, has gone out, has carved a very successful career for herself. I'm sure he's completely proud of you when he looks at your work. It's nice when I win some stuff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't go with my... I took my mum to the National Portrait when I won the Taylor West thing and I couldn't stay in the same room. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. She was, like, trying to tap everybody on the shoulder and go, she did that, she did that. And I'm like, oh, my God, Mother, it's just too embarrassing. But this is quite so, a British yeah. thing as well. Yeah. I, mean, I um, My sister, she, her daughter was about three and I remember her looking in the mirror one day and she, as a three-year-old and she, she said to us both, aren't my legs lovely? And I said, yes, they're beautiful. And my sister said, you shouldn't say things like that. And I immediately said, why shouldn't she? If she can't have lovely legs when she's three, when can she have lovely legs? And she said, no, because you don't want her to grow up boastful. Oh, That's such a British thing. Isn't it? Oh, wow. Yeah. Whereas in America, they'd be like, yes, honey, you have the best legs. Good job. Yeah. Good job. Great. Love you. Um, uh, Lottie, it's been really good talking to you about your career crisis. Has has it helped? Are you feeling a little less like you're in crisis? yeah, I think what's I, I I think it's really interesting that Sue immediately pinpointed what a perfectionist I am, <laughs> and I think that is a that is a major problem, 
But, it, you know, it's something that I'm kind of, I sort of live with and occasionally kind of discard. I think this kind of, seeing a career as part of everything mm. is something that I've been able to do more as I've got older. And I think that becomes easier also because I'm more established now. And I don't, I'm not required, the industry doesn't require me to like live or die by it anymore. But at the beginning, it absolutely does. And if you, you know, you need to pay your dues. And I guess now that I've paid quite a few of them, <laughs> I'm a bit more free, I suppose. So uh, I, I think also the way I think it's it's very interesting. A lot of this is about how you think about something and the story you say to yourself. And it was really interesting when you said, I haven't had a holiday for ages but next week I'm going off to with an actor, which sounded really jolly, and I thought, oh, can I come? And I think a lot of it is how you describe these things. You can look at your life and you can pinpoint all the crap things immediately, and if you dwell on them, you're going to feel like crap. But on the other hand, if you, you know, I'm self-employed. I don't get paid on a monthly basis. But on the other hand, I can say to people that I don't really want to work. I don't actually say it to them, but I don't work with people I don't like. What's not to like there? Yeah. Life's too short to be an asshole and autonomy <laughs> is the key. That's kind of how, that's how I developed my kind of ethical approach to working with other people is that when I was an assistant, I worked for a few of those and I was like, why? And what I learned from them was to not be like that. Mm. But the kind of the compromises that because of that, I pay people and, you know, so I probably have less money, but I, I search for adventures rather than other things so I have a I kind of clock up experiences that's my kind of I look back and go you know what have I what have I achieved over my career you know as well as I made some made some things but I had some really good adventures and that's what photography does it doesn't it, it's it doesn't give you stability but it can give you access to things that you would never think absolutely never think you would get to do and you get to meet some fantastic people and you get to have adventures and you get to be autonomous and for me that's like super key and I think also you, the big problem is that we often measure ourselves against something which is just so not achievable. You know, I, I, for example, never buy women's magazines. I will not buy one. I will not have one in my house. I'm trying to convince my daughter not to buy them because you look at them and you're always going to be fatter, older, not as bright, not such a perfect mother. Right. Measure yourself against yourself. What am I doing now that I wasn't doing a year ago? How much happier am I? And stop thinking about what's right for other people and just think about what's right for you. Thank you so much, Sue. Um, and thanks, Lottie, as well, for being our guest. LottieDavies.com or .co.uk, depending on what mood you're in. Um, and Sue, uh, there's more brilliant gems from Sue at creativepeople.tv. Um, we're going to be back very soon with more career crises. We want to hear from you as well, please. Um, do get in touch. Rebecca and Martha, thank you so much for uh, getting in touch with us at My Career Crisis on Twitter um, or contact us through the website mycareercrisis.com. Please as well, subscribe, rate and review us at iTunes. That's very important. And, um, you know, just always remember, tits or legs, love. You can't have them both. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sue. Thanks, Lottie. And we'll be back next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.